0: Well, I want to begin by uh, welcoming all of our Atlanta area campuses and our strategic partners around the country, and those of you joining us around the world. It's honored uh, to be synced up with you today. I specifically want to give a shout out to a group of people. Some of the finest people in Atlanta down at Buckhead Church today. Um, how's it going down there, by the way? Can we hear from you guys real quick? That's remarkable. <laughs> I didn't hear a thing. Uh, but we're, we're glad to be synced up with you guys. Some of my favorite people in the world are down there. My family's down there today. My kids are attending. Some of my kids are serving down there, attending down there today. Um, and I am so thrilled uh, to be back here at North It's my first time since we moved back to Atlanta, uh, being in this room, being in this uh, building on a Sunday morning. And um, I, I can't, it's too early in the message to get emotional, but um, this place means a lot to us. Um, my kids, met my wife here, um my kids came to faith in this church. Um, I learned to lead and teach uh, God's word in this church. I'm just so grateful. And I'll just say this. If, if this, if you just join one of our churches, our network of churches, this church, uh, you have found a great place. And I just, I'll just encourage you to lean in. You're going to get out of it what you put into it. And there are some amazing people here, amazing environments. And uh, I'm really thrilled for you uh, that you found this church. Um, several years ago, I got myself into a situation, um, and I found myself leading uh, to Taking over the leadership of a multi million dollar organization uh, that was in steep decline. In fact, we we're losing thirty dollars to $40,000 a month, and our cash reserves were running out fast, and we were about five months from not making payroll. Some of you are thinking, I thought you were a pastor, and I am. And it was a large church. And, um, but this is sort of the leadership side and the business side of things, and, and I had never been a part of anything that needed to be turned around. And I, I didn't know what to do, and, and honestly, uh, at several points along the way, I was wasn't sure we were going to make it. We were going to make it out of that. And I remember at one point when things were going really poorly, after I'd tried everything I knew how to do, which having no experience didn't take very long. But um, the, if things were trending this way, when I got there sort of downward, um, as I tried everything I knew to do, the, the curve got steeper downward. And um, I, I, it dawned on me one day, I had this idea. I was like, oh, I know a friend who buys and sells businesses. And he'd buy businesses and, and fix them up and, and, and get things you know, turned around. And then he'd sell them off. And so I thought, this, I'm going to call him and find out, like, you know, how can he help me? So I call him up and I'm like, hey, um, it, was, it took us a little bit of time to get together, but once we synced up our calendars, I said, "Hey, listen, I really need your help. Um, I need to know your secret. Like, how do you do this? How do you turn something around like this?" And he said, "Well, I don't know exactly how this translates to ministry world, but what I do is I usually buy something that has a good product and that's not going well, and I buy it, and then it, it usually things are in financial disarray, and I just lead it. I just let it go into bankruptcy, and after it goes into bankruptcy, um, I recapitalize it, I restaff it, I relaunch it, and pretty." soon after that we were profitable. And I thought, that is remarkably unhelpful. Like, that doesn't translate to ministry world at all. In fact, that's cheating. Like that's, like, that's not even like, that's like taking a shortcut. He's like, I know, but that's all I got for you, bro. You got a tough job. Good luck. <laughs> so awesome. And uh, at first I thought, you know what? If I just stick around, like I can, I can, we can ride this out. And it became really clear um that there are certain situations and certain circumstances certain life uh, seasons or experiences you can't just write it out like there's, you actually need to engage in a set of activities that can turn things around. And I had no experience with that. And some of you, you haven't experienced that before either. But many of us have faced things like that. Some of us are in the middle of situations where things don't seem to be going well or they're at least not headed in the right direction. Or you will face a situation or a circumstance where things are not going well and you're in need of a turnaround. Now, maybe it's in leadership. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's in marriage. Maybe in your finances or your personal life. And those are just ones I've dealt with. I'm sure there's a whole host of other experiences uh, or situations in life where you're trying to turn something around. And, and maybe it's like really in disarray. It's in really bad shape. Or maybe it's just headed that direction. And you can see like if you, if you don't turn things around where it's going to end up. And, and here's what we're going to do. In this series, you're not going to rely on my life experience. Um, we're going to unpack this ancient story. And I couldn't be more excited. I'm a little bit of a geek. You're going to see that in a minute. Uh, we're going to unpack this ancient story that, that really, it's full of this time-tested wisdom for turning around just about anything. And we're going to sort of mine out of this story, this ancient story that you're familiar with. In fact, it's the story of this guy right here. Anybody with me? Nobody? Anybody know who this is? Jonah, yeah, this is Jonah. And you're going, that's not the VeggieTales picture of Jonah. Like, what's the deal? And, and I'm just going to apologize to you up front. Like, I'm, I'm probably going to offend your VeggieTales version of the Jonah story. And I'll just, I'll just say this. Like, I feel like as I started a few years ago diving into the story, I felt like, I got cheated in life. Like, what in the world? Like, I didn't really understand all of uh, what was happening in this story and how extraordinary this story is. Now, now we're going to come back to this later. This is there's a lot going on here in, in this particular imagery. This is a, a wall mural from a, a monastery in Greece, but. Um, here's one of the things you may or may not know about the story of Jonah. Jonah's often uh, been the center of criticism by skeptics or people who are trying to disprove the credibility of the Bible or or by the scientific community going, hey, here's why this couldn't happen or whatever. And a lot of energy has been spent by um, you know, conservative evangelicals trying to defend the historical record of, of these as, as like actual events in history. And I would tell you, just hear me out, I would tell you that's Sideways energy. In fact, that's incredibly sideways in terms of, of what we should be doing as it relates to the story. And here's why. It's because this, the genre of the story is not history. It doesn't read like history. It's not written like history. The, the genre of the story is more like fable or parable. In fact, the closest thing we have to the story of Jonah in the Bible is when Jesus would tell a parable and he would tell a story and then, he, and then there would be a point to the story. If you're new to the Bible, you may not know this. The Bible is not a book. The the Bible is like a library of books that have a, a lot of different literary forms in it, and this one is like fable or parable, and more particular, a subset of that. This this story of Jonah is actually satire. In fact, the closest thing we have in our culture uh, to the story of Jonah, and it's hard to, to 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 get this because a lot's lost in translation. But the closest thing we have is SNL. How many of you guys watch SNL? By the way, if, if, you, if, you, if you don't watch SNL, if you do if you watch SNL and you miss church, Andy's on after SNL. So you can just stick around if you miss church and watch Andy on SNL. Anyway, um, it, this story is satire. It's, it's a humorous portrayal of something as ridiculous. We're gonna see this. In order to embarrass or humble or discredit or correct. Nobody in this story is acting as they ought to. As a matter of fact, this story is extraordinarily unbelievable. It's absurd, and that's the literary style of it. the The least unbelievable part—I'm going to prove this to you—but the least unbelievable part is the part about the fish. It, it, the, the, this story is full of humor and repetition, and exaggeration and sarcasm. It's literally—it's a—it's a literary work of art and um and so i i 'm looking forward to unpack it. The second thing is this if you 're somebody who 's going well, I mean are we really going to learn about life through the story of Jonah? You, you, one of the things that's very common in our culture is we embrace principles from metaphorical stories all the time. Here's an example. How many of you ever heard this before? Slow and steady wins the race. Just hands real quick, all campuses, all locations. Look at that. See, you've all heard this before. How many of you generally think this is a good idea? You lifted your hands. Slow and steady wins the race. Yeah, so so here's the thing. We, we've discovered in our culture that, you know, and maybe you learned this the hard way, that, hey, steady faithfulness, steady plotting over time that eventually is gonna get you where you wanna go. And you don't embrace this because you believe in an actual race between a tortoise and a hare, right? Like that's not why you believe in this principle. And so we do this all the time. That's the idea of fable and parable. Now, before I go on, one of the things I need to say, because this is important, somebody somebody's gonna hear the wrong thing. Here's what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that the story isn't true. In fact, what I am saying is this story is beyond true. It's, it's sort of like a, it's superior to what we think of when we think of a true story. It, it, it's not just a historical event. It, it's sort of, it's this very, very old story. And stories like this were retold over and over and over for generations before they were documented. And and when they were documented, only the richest parts of the story survived. So most of the people that were reading the story, they'd heard the story before, but they're reading this version of the story and what remained in the story was Full and deep of meaning and metaphor and insight. It, it, it's sort of a, a fictional representation of. Uh, like a priori, time-tested foundational truth. And it's incredibly practical when trying to navigate a turnaround, which is our purposes in this series. When you're navigating a turnaround, there's so much helpful information in this story. Now, I brought my uh, chalkboard with me uh, here and somebody asked me uh, earlier this morning, do I take this everywhere I go? Actually, yeah, I got a hitch one of my car so that I can actually hook it up. And drag it around. No, really, the reason I use it is because this is the only thing I'm better at than Andy is drawing on a board. So (laughs) it just makes me feel good. It's more, it's more for me than it is for him. So, so here's the deal. I I want us to dig into this story of Jonah. And in order to do that, I want to give you some context for the story of of what's really going on. You may or may not know this. Jonah is what's known as, what's, uh, what's known as a, a prophetic book. And, um, Uh, most of the prophetic books are, are, are instead of being a story about a prophet, this is the only one we have that's about a prophet. All the other prophetic books, there's 16 other books, um, they're all the words of a prophet. So God would give words to a prophet, and he would speak to people. And sometimes it was about future events, but this is a story about a prophet. And, and it, it's a really unique story. In fact, in this story, there's, there's two acts. And it, and it, and it, it, it actually is, is much more like Shakespeare than anything else. And it, and it, it functions like a two-act play. Um, and act one is chapters one and two. And then there's there's a second act to this play uh, to this this, uh, this story, and um, it's it's chapters uh, three and four. And in Act One and in Act Two, there are two scenes, so it's it's like a two act two scene play. And in Act One, there's Scene One, and there's Scene Two, and then in Act Two, it'd help if I put a two there. Um, and Act Two, there's Scene One, and there's Scene Two, and there's incredible parallelism. And this is part of the reason it's a work of art. I, I part of the reason I do this, and I know you, if you're bored by this, I, I know I'm being a little bit of a geek. It'll be over fast, but but but. I want you to have an appreciation for how extraordinary some of this literature is we have in the Bible. In Act 1 and in Act 2, so if you think about it, this is chapter 1 and chapter 3, because Act 1 is chapter 1 and chapter 2, chapter 3 and chapter 4. So Act 1 and, 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 and Act 2, um, the first scene in both is the word, there, there's this, this theme, the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah in, in both circumstances. And not only that, there is, there's an external struggle In the story, as we're going to see, there's or there's there's external turmoil. We'll say there there's some sort of turmoil or struggle. And then in in uh, scene two of both Act One and Act Two, um, we have Jonah who cries out to God. Jonah cries out to God instead of the word of the Lord coming to Jonah. Jonah's reaching out to God, and we we see um, more of an internal turmoil or an internal struggle in the life of Jonah. So, so as, we're, as we're going through this story, like just remember, this is sort of the literary um, uh, uh, outworkings or, or the overview of what's actually happening uh, in the story. Now, um, I, I apologize if you're offended by this, but I want us to understand uh, sort of, uh, what's what's going on or what this is really like. So this is today, we're gonna talk about act one, scene one. That's sort of what we're looking at in terms of this story of Jonah. And it's just fascinating. Just open your mind. It's, it's probably not the story the way you heard the story growing up. But I want you to remember, this is, in, in this day and age, this would have been sort of a satirical um, tragedy almost. That's what it is. It, it's, it's satire, but it's, but it's a tragedy of what's happening. So, um, who doesn't want to see a tragedy? It's like one of those train wrecks you can't stop watching or a car that you can't watch. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And you should be laughing because the Hebrews would have been laughing at this point because um, this, the, the Lord is Yahweh. It's the, the, the God of Israel. But Jonah means dove, which, which, which a dove was a symbol of peace or innocence. And Amittai, uh, the word, this name means faithfulness. And so the writer opens with the story of Jonah, a, a story most people would have been familiar with. And as he opens the story, he says, hey, the word of the Lord comes to this guy who is characterized by peace and innocence. And he's from a family of faithfulness, which is like anything but what, what's true about Jonah and the story. Um, but but, but that's, that's sort of what, what it says. And, and the audience knows what's coming. So this was very sarcastic. He, he says this, he says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. This is God speaking. So, but Jonah, instead, he ran away from the Lord and he headed for, and again, this is first offense. It's not Tarsus. Like that's how we, we grew up learning. It's not even Tars-ish. It's Tarshish. is how you say this. He headed to a place called Tarshish and, and he didn't go directly there. He actually went down to Joppa where he found a ship. And I want you to notice this. This wasn't like, hey, I casually headed in the wrong direction. This isn't like, oh, I missed my turn or I misunderstood. Like he went down to Joppa where he found a ship. He had to go find a ship that was bound for Tarshish and paying the fare, he made some sacrifice. He went aboard and he sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So this is a very deliberate decision. In fact, I want to show you how deliberate. Look at this. This This is a map. Uh, of, of the Middle East. This is the Mediterranean Sea. You're starting to get your, your bearings. This is Italy, the boot. Here's Spain. Here's Israel. Greece is over in here. So, so here's, here's Israel. And uh, the reason he says he went down to Joppa is because Joppa's down here in the southern part of Israel. Now, I want you to see the difference. If he was gonna go from there to Nineveh, he would have gone about 50 miles northeast, or excuse me, 500 miles northeast. But instead of going to Nineveh, he went 2,500 miles west <laughs> to Tarshish. Like he's not even going remotely in the same way. It's not even like, hey, he'll think I'm going in the right direction. It's like, you know, somebody telling you to go across the street and you're like, no, I'm going to go to Alabama. Like it's, like, it's like that. I mean, it's like the opposite direction. It's 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 he's going the wrong way, and, and we, get, we give Jonah a hard time. In fact, we, we grew up hearing, like, you know, Jonah just disobeyed God, but here's what you need to know, and to, we need to humanize these stories. Like, he, God was telling him to go to Nineveh, and Nineveh was this great city that was the center of the Assyrian Empire who ruled the known world at that point, and one of the most vicious kings of all time was reigning uh, the Assyrian the empire at this time, and the Assyrians terrorized the Israelites. In fact, you can read about it in your Bible, in second kings. There's three different instances where the Assyrians the, the uh, invaded Israel and then they deported people from their homes and, and, and from their land. And then they laid siege. They, they destroyed entire towns. Like, so, so this is like this, this, this town that he's gonna go to, like there's this bad guy. These are these bad people. And his countrymen, his fellow Israelites, for not going to Nineveh, they would have seen him as a sort of patriot. Like this was like, wait, so God said, if you go there, you know, he, you're gonna go warn them that they need to turn towards him or else he's gonna destroy the city. All this country would be like, so what if you just don't go there? Like, that would be good for us. Like we could, we could get rid of these guys. God could just get rid of them. That would get rid of our problems. So that's the first thing. The second thing, just thinking very simply, if I have the opportunity to go from Joppa to the Northern mountains of Iraq or the coast of Spain, what are you picking? Like, I'm going to the coast of Spain. So, like, I'm just thinking, like, just in practical terms, like, this is what's going on. All of this is happening. So, this begins, though, a series of events. This going down to Joppa. When he went down to Joppa, this begins a series of events that are actually a downward spiral. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship born for that port. And after paying his fare, he went aboard this Hebrew word aboard. Literally, it means to go down into. So, so there's a series of things that are that are happening here. Uh, Jonah goes down to Joppa, and then he goes down aboard this ship. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is, again, this is this, is this downward direction of, of what's happening. And, and the, these are things that, that um, we don't get in the story normally. But if you're paying attention, like we start to understand there's this downward spiral, this downward repetition that's starting. And, and then, so then we, we find out he gets on this ship and the, the Lord sent a great wind. Most of us know this part of the story on the sea. And, and, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up and in, again, in the original language, this was like personified, like the ship has a choice or it has a personality. And it's like, hey, if you keep sailing me in this direction, great, I'm just gonna explode. And everybody's gonna go everywhere and you're all gonna drown. And so that, the, the ship is sort of uh, uh, you know, sort of threatening the, the, the sailors. And all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. They didn't worship Yahweh, the God of Israel. They cried out to their own God that the Israelites would have considered them pagans. And they threw the cargo into the sea, and they, they lightened the ship. And, and they so they crying out to their different gods. And here's the irony. They're looking up towards God. You know, Jonah's going down to Joppa, and he goes down into the ship. And and they're looking up to God. They're looking up to their gods. And they're trying to throw things overboard to keep the ship up and afloat. They're acting in the opposite direction in terms of imagery, as is, is Jonah. And, 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 and then we see that Jonah continues to go in his direction, though. Even though they're, they're, they're doing that, Jonah had gone below deck. He went down below deck, where he laid down, and he fell into a deep sleep. So Jonah goes down below deck. He's continuing his downward movement. He goes down below deck, and then he, he uh, lays down. And he goes into a deep sleep. So there's this downward movement, and some of you are going, "Well, why? Why is it downward?" It's like that's that's what what happens, right? That's how we talk about when things aren't going well. You know, you're down on your luck, or you got knocked down, or you fell, or um, you know, some of you, you got to a place where you would say you hit rock bottom. Like that's when things aren't going well. They're not looking up. You're not on top of your game. Like this is so. They're it's using a very uh, normal tactic to say, "Hey." This is obviously not going well and things are going worse and worse and worse and worse for Jonah. So what's going on here in our terms? You've seen this before. In fact, this is, the, this is a pattern of something we see all the time, this downward spiral. What, what's happening? What, what do these things mean? He goes he goes to, down to Joppa instead of going to Nineveh, which is actually sort of in the opposite direction. His first step is in the opposite direction of Nineveh. And he decides to defy what God told him to do. He's defying. He's not doing what he ought to do, what he was supposed to do. He's neglecting his responsibility. I mean, he's a prophet. He's, his job is to go and speak on behalf of God and he's neglecting what he's supposed to be doing. And instead, he opts to go his own way and to try something different. And he's gonna go a different direction. And he's, the direction he's gonna go is, is different than the way he ought to be going. And then he goes down below deck, and 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 this is this is sort of a metaphor for going into hiding. He realizes he's not going the direction he's supposed to be, and he's behaving in a way he ought not to be. And so he's going to try to hide that, and he's going to try to cover that up, and he's going to try to escape the fallout of what what's happening. And and um, he's going to hold on to, he's going to hold on to his secret. He, you got to remember, at this point, Jonah's the only one who knows why they're in the middle of the storm. And it's because of what he's been doing. It's because he defied what he's supposed to be doing. And he tried to do things, which I know none of you do this, but like he decided, I, I know what God wants me to do, but I, I think I can do it this way. It, it, it's better for me to do this way. I know what's better for my life and for my people. And so he tries something other than what he ought to do. And then he, in his embarrassment and shame, he's hiding and then he, he lays down. And, and this isn't because he's tired. I mean, it may seem like it's because he's tired, but this is a metaphor for taking cover. He's trying to take cover and, and he's just trying to survive the chaos of what's happening around him. And then finally, he closes his eyes and he goes into a deep sleep. And this is sort of a metaphor for being in denial and denying what's really going on in the circumstances. And, and this is where you can see this. This is this downward spiral of a series of steps and a pattern of behavior that leads us into a situation where we need a turnaround. And this pattern, this pattern or versions of this pattern and these behaviors are things that plague relationships and marriages and organizations and teams and careers and finances. It plagues our mental and emotional health. You've seen this before. And you've seen this pattern in a friend or a spouse or a partner, a coworker, an employee, maybe in your boss or your kids or your parents. Some of us have acted this pattern out in our own lives where we decided, I'm not gonna do, I, what I, I got a better idea. I'm not gonna do what I, want, what, what I ought to do. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. And I'm gonna try something out of my own strength and out of my own intuition. And, and then when it doesn't go well, it's like we, we try to hide it or we try to cover it up. And then we're just trying to survive the fallout or the consequences of it. And then we got stuck into a situation we don't know how to get out of it. And so we're trying to deny it. We're trying to cover it up. We're trying to hide the best we can that there's actually even really, really Problem and something's gotta change. And so as we continue on in scene one, there's a confrontation that's coming. And as a matter of fact, the captain, the captain went to him, and this is what the captain said the, the shipmaster is what the original translation is. The shipmaster went to him and he said, How can you sleep? Like this is it. It's like it's like this is Jonah's wake-up call. Like, how can you sleep, Jonah? You gotta open your eyes to what's really going on. Don't you know what's happening around you? Open your eyes. Like, everybody else is is jumped into action. They're trying to resolve the problem. And you're down here sleeping. How can you close your eyes to what's going on? He continues, he says, get up. Get up and call on your God. Everybody else is calling on their gods. At least do your part. Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. So they don't even really know it's Jonah's fault at this point. It's just like, you're not behaving still the way you ought to. And it's ironic that the prophet of God is the only one not calling out to his God. In the Princess Bride, he'd say, inconceivable. Like, like that's, what's, that's what this is. It's, it's, that, it's that genre. It's like, this is bizarre. This is absurd. And the shipmaster comes to him and he says, Wake up, get up, what are you doing? And the reason is, is because this is the first step to a turnaround. When you've experienced, you've behaved your way into this downward spiral, turning things around begins by getting up and waking up. Then the sailors, they said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. Which uh, casting lots is sort of a primitive version of drawing straws. It's like, let's draw straws to try. We don't know who's responsible. So let's try to figure out maybe the gods or maybe fate will show us who's responsible. And so they, they, they cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. So this was their indication. You know, Jonah's at the center of this somehow. So they asked him, um, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? And isn't this what happens when you, you start to get an idea of where the problem may be in your team or in your business or your company or your family or whatever? You got questions, and like, they have questions. It's like, tell us who's responsible for this. What kind of work do you do? And where do you come from? And what is your country? And from what people are you? It's like, we, need, we don't know enough about you, obviously. Like, there's something going on here and we need to know what's going on. And this is typically what goes on, right? We, we have lots of questions when things are not going well. And it's sort of, the reason is, is because we want somebody to own up to what's actually going on. And so Jonah, realizing he caught, he's caught, he answers. And he says this. He says, uh, I am, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, Yahweh. Anytime you see the all capital Lord, this is, this is their, their word for the Israelite God, Yahweh, um, the God of heaven, who, look at this, he made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them. Uh, they, and they asked, what have you done? Like, you, this is the God of the land and sea, and, and, and you've defied him, and what have you done? They, they knew he was running from the Lord because he had already told them so. So it's like, to be clear, Jonah, real quick, real quick. Like your, your God is the God, the God of the land and the God of the sea. And you not only were dumb enough to tick him off, but you got in a boat. Like that's absurd. Like, what are you doing? And by the way, you didn't just get in any boat. You got into our boat. Like, what have you done, bruh? Like, you're killing us. Like, we, 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 like, how do we get out of this? And, and just then the sea, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Like he, It's like, we, we need some help. And Jonah's like, and this is so Shakespearean. Like, I can't do it. I wish I could. I'm going to just make a fool of myself for a second. But it's like, here, here's his response. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. He replied, "And it will be calm. I know that it's my fault, and a great storm has, that. This great storm has come upon you. I will be the sacrificial lamb." And it's like, no, that's not what's happening here. Jonah is not being heroic. He's not being willing to sacrifice to save everybody else. Jonah's looking for a way out. Jonah's is overwhelmed by what's going on. He doesn't want to face what's happening. So he says, "Just throw me overboard, and that'll resolve everything." It's too much to take responsibility for. Jonah finds himself in an overwhelming place and he's like, I just, I don't, I don't think this is gonna turn around and maybe I shouldn't go on. Now, I wanna pause for just a minute because if you're in this place today, you feel the weight of this. And I, 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 that's not lost on me. I just want you to know, if that's you, um, you're, you're likely carrying this burden alone and, and maybe you're the only one who knows what's going on. And, and maybe, it's, maybe it's a big mess and, and maybe it's, it's just started into that and you don't know how to get uh, off that track or get off that path or change courses. But I want you to look at me. If you just look at me for one second, I want you to know something. We prayed you'd be here today. We prayed you'd be watching and you'd be listening I don't believe it's by any accident. I believe it's by the providence and the kindness of God that you're listening today. And if I could be so bold, I just—I don't often try to speak on behalf of God because I'm not a prophet. My name is Joel. But, but here's the thing. Um, I, I think God would say, hey, it's time. It's time for a turnaround. And I'm inviting you and I'm offering and I wanna help you navigate this turnaround before the storm gets so vicious that it takes you or maybe somebody near you, somebody around you, somebody you love, it takes you out or them out. And there's people around you that don't wanna see it take you out as well. As a matter of fact, that's in the story too. Instead of throwing them overboard, the men did their best to row back. They didn't wanna throw them overboard. They didn't wanna see that happen to them. They tried to row back to the land, but they could not for the sea grew even wilder and wilder than before. And look at this. Then they cried out to the Lord. And he said, they said, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. Uh, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. These polytheistic non-Israelites are basically, there. they're trying to discern what they ought to do, what God wants them to do. And, and it's like, you, you know, you've done what you have please, pleased to do. And our best understanding is you want us to throw this guy into the sea. And so we're going to do it. But, but if we do it and we misunderstood, please, please, please have mercy on us. And then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. And at this, men, the, great, the, the, at this the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So a bunch of pagans have their come to Jesus moment in the midst of this prophet screwing up his life. And, and they're trying to do what they ought to do. And God rescues them and they worship him. And that's sort of what happens. And, and the reason is because the first step of a turnaround is reversing the, the current pattern of the way that you're going. And, 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 and this is what happened specifically with, with, um, with Jonah. You know, he, he was on this track and he was, headed, he was headed the wrong direction. You know, he's headed this direction. And, and, and if you wanna have a turnaround, you have to have different behavior. It has to reverse and go in different direction. It starts with the captain coming to him. And the captain, what's the first thing he says? He says, wake up, you gotta wake up. You gotta wake up and own up to what's going on. And then you gotta look up. He, he says, call on your God. Wake up to what's happening around you. Do you not see this is not going well? And the reason you gotta look up is because oftentimes we can convince ourselves that it's somebody else's problem or it's not that big a deal. But this is sort of a look up and test with God and try to discover what's really going on and what, what are you doing that you ought not to be doing and you, you need to take responsibility for and then you need to wake up and you need to look up. And then you need to own up. You need to tell somebody. You need to be honest. You need to come out of hiding. And you need to talk about what's really going on. This is how, this is the first step to turning something around. So, so here, here's the thing I, I want you to know. That this, the reason this is the first step to turn around is because you can't figure out where you need to go until you figure out where you are. And so the question is, is what do you need to wake up to What is it that today, I I bet in the last few minutes, something's come to mind that you need to open your eyes to what's really going on. And maybe it's not all your fault, but maybe there's a part of it that, that you've contributed to, to how you got there. What have you not been doing that you ought to? Or what have you been doing that you know you ought not to be doing? Like, those are the questions. Maybe maybe it's you've been acting uh, unethically or immorally for your own personal gain. Or you're engaging in a relationship with someone or something that's leading you in the wrong direction. Or or maybe you're medicating or escaping through an unhealthy habit or vice about a decade ago, um, uh, I got a phone call. I was standing on my back patio, and I was grilling on my big green egg, and I got a phone, phone call from Holly. David and Holly are sitting in the front row uh, today. Ho- David and Holly are great friends of ours. We met them in small group. Um, we actually met them uh, through an event we used to do um, that was sort of like speed dating for finding a group. We don't do it anymore, so you don't have to be nervous, but um, we found them through this, this, this thing, and we become great friends, and um, Dave and I became great friends, and Holly and Jen became great friends. We together. And so anyway, uh, Holly calls me and we had had some conversation because I had noticed um, on a couple of different occasions that David's behavior just seemed a little off to me. And I was a little worried. I was like, hey, like, you know, like, do you notice anything? And she's sort of like, I don't know, like I, if something's going on, I just pray, you know, come to light. And, and, I, and I said, um, so th- this was some of our conversation. She calls me and she says, hey, I need your help. And I said, what's going on? She said, well, David's on his way home and there's something going on and, and um, I, I just need your help confronting him. You know, we need to sort of have a, a, an intervention of sorts. And I was like, Oh, really? She's like, yeah. And I I just, I can't do it by myself. Would you, would you come? I want to, I want to do this, but I, I I just, I need your support. And I know David respects you. And so I got my car and I raced up to their house because he was on his way home and she kind of wanted us to get there at the same time. And so I pulled in right behind him and, and, um, it's what we saw in the story. Like we got in and we all, the three of us sat down and um, Holly had questions. (laughs) She had lots of questions and the questions kept coming and kept coming and that led to questions for me. And as we learned more, there was more questions and more questions and more questions. And um, David and I had breakfast this week and (laughs) over breakfast he said, that was the longest three hours of my entire life. Uh, We sat there and we talked and we talked and we talked and finally near the end of the conversation, David said, okay, okay, I can't. I can't deny it anymore. Like several months ago, I um, I was dealing with a lot of stress at work, and so I went and saw a psychiatrist and just said, "Hey, I need something to help me um, deal with all the stress I've got at work, and I just I, I don't know how to manage it." And so uh, he prescribed him something that worked for a little while, but then um, you know the effects of that sort of dulled, and it wasn't having the impact it once was. And so he, he pursued stronger and and uh, more uh, you know I would say more potent medicines and eventually these things started to get their hooks in him so much so that he didn't know how to get out of it and he didn't know how to function outside of that and and he told us that and so and and I was so grateful i was like hey I, we can we can figure this out together. Like this, this happens. These things happen in life. And you know, you've know you heard this. This, hap, this happens sometimes with injuries where people get medications they get hooked on. So I told him, I said, tomorrow morning, we're going to go, we're going to see this guy. And so the next morning I go pick him up and we go see a therapist at a, a place that I greatly respect over in Ackworth uh, called Hope Quest. And we get to Hope Quest and, and we sit down and as we talked, that guy had lots of questions as well. And he asked question after question. And we realized like, hey, this this thing had a bigger grip on David than he or I or even Holly really realized. And so he recommended, it was sort of shocked to, to me. He he recommended that Dave, David join their 90-day residential program. So it's a 90-day inpatient program, which was like, you know, as, as you can imagine, it's terrifying. What do you do about job and work and family? Like, there's no way. And so... Finally, David said, well, you know what? If that's what I need to do, um, you know, I'm gonna do it. So we drove from Ackworth all the way back over here. Holly and uh, their girls were at our house and uh, we, they had brought him some stuff and he was gonna say goodbye. It was a terrible moment. Um, as we said goodbye to the girls and we headed back um, over to Ackworth and we both needed a drink. We stopped at Starbucks, so don't, don't worry, but we needed we, we <laughs> We needed to drink at that point. Um, But then we got close to the place and I was, we'd been driving around a lot. So I had to stop to get gas. And when I stopped to get gas, um, David had a a handful of pills in his pocket and he took them all. And um, I didn't know. And so I went and dropped them off and, and, um, you know, he, they hadn't had their effect yet. And so, um, you know, he went through intake and everything. And, you know, he seemed like he was lucid and fine. So they admitted him into this program. And, and um, the next morning I wake up and I was headed to the church. I was leading staff meeting the next morning. And I get a call from the director of the program. He's like, you gotta come get David. And I was like, why, what happened? And he's like, well, he needs to go through medical detox. I told you we don't do that. And, and like David apparently, you know, didn't, wasn't forthright about what he had, he had taken. And um, he, he really needs, he probably needs you to take him to the ER and then eventually, you know, to a, to a medical detox facility. So I, I told Holly, I was like, I'll go take care of you. She's like, oh, no, no, I'm going to take responsibility. And so Holly and I and a friend of hers, uh, the three of us jump in a car together and we drive over to, uh, to, to Ackworth. We take him to Kinnestone Hospital and we're in this section in Kinnestone Hospital in the ER, and I, I need to speed up because we need to finish this up. But we're in this ER and, and um, you know we're a lot of other people that were dealing with substance abuse and um, the nurse comes in and she wants to know who everybody is because there's the three of us there with David and she's like, so who is everybody here? And I was like, oh, well, I'm a good friend of his. I'm also a pastor at his church. And then this is his wife, Holly, and, and her friend. And, um, and I said, and who are you? And she said, oh, I'm Laura Croft. And I was like, like the Tomb Raider? <laughs> She's like, yeah, I get that all the time. I'm like, I'm so happy to see you. Like, we need you. Like, you know, you're like, so it was just this bizarre moment. I felt like it was like the moment we all needed the levity. And it was like God going, I got you. And um, she, the Tomb Raider, helped us get David into a great detox program. And eventually David um, decided he was going to wake up to what was going on. and, And he would say, he told me this week that, um, that if it wasn't for Holly, he didn't know where he would be, that Holly had decided that she wasn't gonna close her eyes to what was going on anymore. She wasn't gonna deny it anymore. And she was gonna lead their family to figure out how to turn things around even when he couldn't. And um, together they did a lot of hard work. And um, here's the thing. If they didn't, I couldn't show you this picture right here. You know, I, I'm not sure where David would be. I don't know where their marriage would be. They would tell you the same thing. And um, one of the things you don't know, as you look at this beautiful family that looks like a normal family, because normal people go through these things. But what you don't know is this little guy right here, he wouldn't even be here if they hadn't woken up to the truth. David and Holly, they would tell you that this little guy got the best of both of them and didn't really get the worst of them. And and um, their whole family is so thrilled to have them as part of their family. Here, here's why I tell you that story is because um, I know the first step is scary regardless of what you're in, whether it's something really that's a mess and difficult or whether you're just at the beginning of it and you're heading that direction. It's scary to, to sort of open up and wake up and look up and own up to what's going on. But anybody and everybody who's ever gone through that and took, taken that step of obedience to tell you the same thing, it's totally worth it. You can't possibly imagine The beautiful things that God has for you on the other side of waking up to what's really going on. It's the first step to turning things around. And I just want you to know, if you were to talk to David and Holly, they would tell you they're so grateful for God's grace, for the people in their life, for their church that came around that, that helped them wake up to face and walk through What's going on? Waking up and opening your eyes, facing the truth, coming out of hiding. It is the first step because it's a complete abandonment of the previous pattern. It's truly turning things around and heading a new direction. And and whether you're dealing with this in a corporate setting or a personal setting or relational setting, it's always the same. You gotta figure out what's really going on and what are you doing to contribute it, to contribute to that. Anyone who's ever turned around anything, that's the way they've done it. And they'll tell you it's totally worth doing. Now, you, you gotta find somebody, a trusted friend. And if you don't have one, if you don't have a trusted friend, I wanna help you. Here's the thing. If you don't have somebody you can talk to, if you don't have somebody that can come around you, um, I want you to text us today. You can text the word turnaround. Um, can we go to that side? Turnaround to 51255. You can text turnaround to 51255. And here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna get a, a, a thing back. And here's why I wanna make it as easy as possible for you. I realize it's a big step for some of you. And, and for some of you, it may not be that hard. Some of you can just pick up your phone and text a friend and say, I need to talk. Hey, can we chat? Hey, I'm headed towards a storm. Hey, I'm in the middle of a storm. Hey, the storm's really bad and you've got people in your life. But if you don't, or you're not ready, if you'll text turnaround to 51255, we have a prayer team, a large prayer team that for the next seven days, they're gonna be uh, committed to praying for just you. If you'll tell us a little bit of what you're trying to wake up to, our prayer team, they're gonna look up with you and ask God what your next step is to try to own up to what's really going on. And here's the thing. I just want you to know this. You, 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 if you don't take this step right now, you have no idea what, what the consequences will be tomorrow and what, how much worse that storm could, be, could get. And some of you today, you would say you're not in Jonah's shoes. You've been there, or, or maybe you will be there at some point, but you, there's a Jonah in your life that may need you to be a captain for them and may need you to wake them up. I would just say there's probably a step for all of us to take, however big or small. But I want you to know that I too, am gonna pray for the next se- seven days that any of you, any of you listening online, any of our churches, that if there's something that's going in the wrong direction in your life, that God would use something. He would use somebody, maybe he would use today to wake you up to what's really going on so he can begin that turnaround in your life. Let me pray for you. Gotta pray today um, for somebody who is in the midst of this storm or maybe somebody who's headed towards a storm and maybe they do have somebody in their life that they could talk to, but maybe they're scared. Maybe they're afraid or maybe, maybe they're dismissing at this point. They're closing their eyes to. They're denying. They're going, it's not that, not that big a deal. God, I just pray today that you would help them maybe to just have a few seconds of insane courage to text us or to text a friend or to walk out of here and make a phone call or to talk to the person they came with, to just say, hey, I don't know what this looks like yet, but I need to wake up to something that's going on right around me. Things are not going well in my marriage or things are not going, they're not going in the right direction in my career. Things are not going in the right direction in my personal life or my emotional life. I need some help. I, I need to tell somebody about what's been going on because I need to turn things around. God, I just pray that you would affirm in them right now that that you're with them, that you'll guide them in the same way that you eventually would rescue Jonah, in the same way that you rescued the sailors in the ship, in the same way that you rescued David and Holly. We all are in need of your rescue at different times in our lives. And I just pray that they would know today. They would know that they they would know that they would know that you're a God who rescues and that they can put their trust in you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.